You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. This time around, we're talking about sports movies, sports in movies, with me, John. Hello. And also, Pat. What would you say your top three or four sports are that you watch the games or follow? College football is my number one. That'd be the Oregon Ducks. Professional baseball, so San Francisco Giants being my team for that. That'd be number two. And then probably professional football I like watching. But I'm actually pretty much a fan of all sports. I'll watch uh, basketball. I like the Warriors, obviously. San Jose Sharks. I'm a Bay Area guy, so those are all my teams. How about you, John? What's your relationship with sports? I love sports. I love them. Um, I love football. I grew up near Buffalo, New York. So when you're a kid and the local team goes to the Super Bowl full straight years, you tend to get into the sport. You don't necessarily fall in love with the particular team because of the results, but I like football. (laughs) But I do live in San Francisco, so I've been here for all three Giants World Series, so that was a lot of fun. Well, for myself, I grew up in the New England area. I'm a Sox guy. I'm a Patriots guy. I don't really follow sports all that much, so I'm glad you guys are here to make up the difference. We got your back, Frank. You always do. (laughs) Now, talking about sports as it relates to movies, Pat, what do you think sports movies do well that other subgenres don't? I think it tends to be really compelling when you have a sports storyline. You can wrap in other emotional storylines to the emotion of the sport itself, and people can really connect with that. When subject matter is hard to connect with, it's harder for the viewer to connect with the characters. But I think with sports, it's such a universal language. I think you can have more fun with a sports movie while still having it be a serious tone, because at the end of the day, it is still just a game. And you're not going to lose people because it's too serious or scary or any of the other things that might come with a movie. Like, oh, that movie's too scary, no thank you, or the movie's too dramatic. They're also really good at setting up immediate conflict between characters. So often, movies can take a while just letting you know why two people would hate each other. But if you say, oh, they're quarterbacks on separate teams, it's a really good way to do some shortcuts in the storytelling. The movies we're going to talk about, they both have a father-son aspect to the plot. Do you think sports specifically baseball in particular, do you think they're assets when telling stories about the relationship between parents and their children? I think so, absolutely. That passion between parents and their children, you see that in a lot of early 90s sports movies. Rookie of the Year, I think of Angels in the Outfield, I think of Little Big League. All of those had some sort of a paternal, maternal aspect, sharing their love of the sport with their child. That carries on into kids loving the sport, so I think it's a great way to tell a story for sure. I agree with most of that. There's a tendency for fathers to put all their sports dreams on the child, the ones that they couldn't achieve, and that definitely has shown up in a few movies. I like how something really basic, like throwing a ball, like they show in Sandlot, it is tied to developing a relationship with your dad doing the most basic thing of, hey, you know, let me show you how to throw, or just throwing the ball back and forth, having that time with your dad, where the throwing and catching is really just an excuse to talk and be outside together. 
it's finding that common bond. The kid likes the sport and you liked the sport. That's the way you can connect, even when you don't have anything else in common. Did sports have a big part in your relationship with your dad growing up? We'd always be outside working in the yard and he'd have a baseball game on the radio. So I have like very fond memories of listening to the ball game on the radio while we're out there working, building a fence or mowing the lawn or whatever the heck we were doing out in the yard. He'd always have the baseball game on the radio. And yeah, definitely took me to all the practices when I ever needed somebody to throw with, hit tennis balls with me if I needed to. He was always very willing and happy to help with that sort of stuff. My dad took me to my practices, elementary school baseball. I'd see him parked out back watching us play sometimes. And it was nice to have his support in the couple years that I played. Let's get into tonight's first film, The Sandlot, from 1993. The Sandlot is a kid telling the story of one of the best summers of his life. He's flashing back from his adult years to looking back on the summer of 1961. He has just moved to a new neighborhood, new town, doesn't know anybody, and he connects and makes friends through baseball. It's a group of guys who don't really keep score. They just hit in this old ball field called the Sandlot. At the same time, our main character, Smalls, his mother has just recently remarried, so he tries to connect with his stepfather through baseball. He doesn't know how to play the sport himself. And his stepfather is very much a huge baseball fanatic. Even with my very limited connection to sports, it hurt me to see Scotty Smalls be so bad at baseball at the beginning of the movie when he can't even catch the darn thing. He couldn't catch. He didn't know who Babe Ruth was. He was embarrassing. He he was killing me. (laughs) (laughs) He's killing me, Smalls. (laughs) Pat, do you think the sports aspect of the movie really add something to its overall flavor? Really centered around the sport of baseball and how it helps this young man grow in his friendships and his personal relationships. It's absolutely essential to the movie itself. And John, do you think if this was hockey or football, do you think it would have changed the dynamic much? I don't think so. You look at like the Mighty Ducks or Little Giants. It kind of feels like the same process. But baseball is slice of the American pie, so I feel like it's a little more widespread. It's going to work more, because every little kid tried to play baseball. Pat, do you think there's anything about the portrayal of baseball in this movie that seems false to you? The one scene when Benny hits the guts out of the baseball, I think that's very unlikely to happen with a (laughs) 12-year-old. Have you ever seen an adult do that? I don't think I have. I think you'd have to have a torn ball. I've seen it before, but it's usually when my friends and I were hitting and we'd have a ball that was already torn, just more or less finishing it off, but not like a brand new baseball hitting the guts out of it. I would say that was the one part that was unrealistic about the film, although it was essential to driving the plot forward, showing that there was this omen of something big was about to happen. It's part of the fantasy of the movie, and I mean, it adds to the fairy tale of it a little bit, so I don't think it's too ridiculous. Well, there are two things that I want to run by you guys. They mentioned early in the movie that these neighborhood kids playing in the sandlot, they don't keep track of the games they're playing. They're just doing the motions because they love the ball game. And to me, that felt a little off. Almost like they're stuck being as good as they are, except for Benny, who is super great. So all of them are mediocre, and they're okay with that. 
but Benny's the star, and he's always the star. Did you guys ever think of that? (laughs) No. (laughs) I didn't think of that, but it's an interesting thought for sure. We do see Smalls improve as the movie progresses. He's just really, really bad when the film starts, so there's nothing he can do but get better. (laughs) (laughs) He's at the bottom. There's nowhere but up. Yeah. But I don't think it was essential to the movie besides the fact that it demonstrates the different work ethics of the kids. Eight of them are playing it because it's fun. And then you've got Benny, who's out all hours of the day, all hours of the night, playing it because he's truly passionate about it. And that reflects in the end of the film when he's a professional baseball player. There's a few moments where it's just Benny running the bases by himself. At that point, isn't he just jogging? Does he need to be there? (laughs) (laughs) It's the love of the game. I like they didn't keep score or worry about it. It's basically practice at that point, but they love it so much. I liked how low stakes the movie was. I remember like watching movies as a kid. Every movie had to have some big bad guy who was going to murder someone. And this was just a good low stakes movie. I was a little shocked at my reaction to a scene with Scotty Smalls where he's getting to know the kids and. He just sucks at catching and throwing. He literally runs the ball back from the outfield to the pitcher. Benny tells him, hey man, just put your glove out and I'm just going to hit the ball into your glove. And in that moment where he's not even looking for the ball, he's just putting his glove out, stiff arming it, and then it magically pops into his glove. And then we got that swelling James Horner score, like it's a triumphant moment. But for me, I was like, no, no, you don't deserve to catch any balls that way, kid. How dare you? The message is, hey, kids, just put your arm out and the ball will come to you. Don't worry about it. You don't have to care. (laughs) Uh, I doubt they're showing this movie in locker rooms as uh, an educational film. I would agree with your point there, Frank, but I think that there were two things. The reason that that scene was in there is one, I think it demonstrates how good Benny is as a player. The fact that he can put the ball on a target. The other part was for Scotty Smalls, who was so terrible at baseball. What he really needed was confidence, and he needed to be able to trust himself. The mentality of the sport from John Madden is that it's, what, 80% mental half the time. So I think that was the two things that that accomplished, was showing how good Benny was as a player, and then helping Smalls get his confidence to be able to learn how to play. Yeah, that's all there. It is. It still hit me the wrong way. (laughs) Pat, do you think the movie is making any particular statement about baseball? Baseball as America's pastime, it demonstrates the popularity of the game. You have these kids who are going out there, like we've already talked about, not keeping score. They're just playing it because they absolutely love it and they're very passionate about it. Let's get on to some favorite scenes and performances. John, tell me some of yours. I love the scene when Squints pretends to drown. That's such a weird little perverted scene that I don't know you could put in a movie nowadays. Um, I love that dog. Huge fan of Hercules. My dad always had big dogs growing up, so I never understood the fear of the dog because I knew in the end he was just going to turn out to be great. I found those giant puppets they used in the retelling of the dog's myth. I love those gigantic puppets that were obviously not dogs. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Pat? What were your favorite things in this movie? Oh, man. I love Squint telling the origin story of the beast. I think all the kids did a great job, but specifically Patrick Morena, who played Ham or Hamilton Porter. He was fantastic with all the garbage talking he was doing behind the plate and everything. 
And then the last performance I wanted to call out was Art LaFleur playing the babe when he comes in and he delivers the line, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. That's absolutely one of my favorite parts of the whole movie for sure. Did you ever use or maybe your teammates use any of the quotes from these type of movies? Oh, absolutely. We would quote things like that all the time. I think we definitely used some of the ham insults when we played Little League Baseball, for sure, yelling at the batters from the dugout. (laughs) This watch, I really felt the uncomfortable relationship between Scotty and his father, played by Dennis Leary. (laughs) When I watched it as a kid, five years old, at the time I thought Dennis Leary was pretty scary. It's the way Scotty looks at him. But then when you become an adult, oh, it's just an uncomfortable relationship and there's really nothing about him that's antagonistic. I just enjoyed the fact that Dennis Leary is from Massachusetts. I think he's doing the best acting pretending to be a Yankees fan. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Do you have any criticisms for this movie? God, it's such a good movie overall. I really thoroughly enjoy it every time I watch it. Maybe one criticism I have is at the end of the movie, a Dodgers player would never be able to steal home safely against the Giants. I just don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) No way, no how. Yeah, I have no comment. That's some real inside baseball stuff. (laughs) Um, First of all, that chase scene at the end with Hercules, that dog is not going the distance. That dog is going to give up after about 10 feet. Who knows, maybe Benny had a hot dog in his pocket or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he caught Hercules on a good day. He was (laughs) well-rested. I don't know. I don't think I have any more. Uh, Like Pat said, it's just such a good movie. I'm glad you guys are here to lavish it with praise so that I can really dig at it with one particular criticism. The movie started to feel a little slow to me. The plot of this movie doesn't really start until an hour in when they use the stepfather's ball and he gets hit over the fence and they have to go and retrieve it. That's the plot. Besides that, there's really nothing happening except for little stories showing that time of American history and kids playing ball in the 60s. I was a little put off by that. It's a character piece. I think it's about their emotional journey and not just a plot point, sir. And I think that's where the baseball can help or hinder this thing. If you're really into baseball, then it fills in some of the gaps that someone who's not into sports might lose a little bit of interest, like myself. I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm railing against it, and you guys both seem to really love it, being sports fans. I mean, you could just have bad taste. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. I feel like they do a good job of breaking it up a little bit, though, too, because while baseball is a centerpiece of the film, they also have the carnival scene. They have the chase, where the dog's chasing Benny through the park and everything on the Founder's Day Parade. And it was very lighthearted, too, with the comedy aspects. I don't feel like you need to be a huge baseball fan to understand the, the movie. Well, I'd like to wrap up our discussion about The Sandlot with a segment I'm calling Rat, which are random asinine thoughts and trivia. John, do you have any rat for me today? The ending when he was describing what happened to everybody, I honestly, for a second, wanted it to go super dark. I wanted it to be like, oh, he overdosed. He murdered 
Peppy Field or whatever, uh, whatever the uh, hot peppercorn. Yeah, it's like ah, Squints murdered Wendy Peppercorn, and he's life in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat joined a cult, and no one's seen him say like. <laughs> How about you, Pat? Do you have any random thoughts you want to share? The actor who plays Benny the Jet Rodriguez. When we see old Benny at the end of the film, that's his actual real-life older brother. They look pretty similar. I definitely looked that up while doing research. I got three things for you. One, James Earl Jones plays a blind guy with an awesome baseball memorabilia collection. He can't see it. How cruel is that? Two, three of the boys in the Sandlot crew were also in other 90s kids' sports movies. The Big Green and Mighty Ducks 1 and 2. Mm. Lastly, because Karen Allen plays the mother in this movie, it made me think of Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. And I would like to think that this, in some fashion, is an extension of her appearance from Indiana Jones. It takes place in the early 60s. Her son, he's like 11 years old. Perfect timeline that he might be Indiana Jones' illegitimate child. I think you're a little <laughs> off on the timeline there. Indiana Jones takes place in the 1930s. Who knows what the Carpenter's Cup from the Holy Grail, what kind of magic that does. Thank you, John. Thank you for keeping my dream alive. We can definitely magic our way into some BS if it doesn't make sense. Let us move on to Field of Dreams from 1989. Field of Dreams is about an Iowa farmer who hears voices and just goes with it. And everyone's okay with that. Just about everybody. Just about everybody. Except James Earl Jones, who can also hear the voices, and he's not okay with it. Iowa farmer Ray, who is told if he build it, they will come, which is one of the most famous movie lines ever. He takes up a bunch of his corn crop and builds a baseball field instead, and then ghosts start coming and playing baseball. One of the ghosts is Art LaFleur, one of the two people from the Sandlot to show up in this movie. Yeah, it's funny, the connections between the two movies. Pat, what do you think sports does for this film? It's an important aspect of the movie. You've got a son looking back on his relationship with his father, and he's thinking, we never really connected. The dad almost went on to become a professional baseball player. He put his dreams on his son, and then his son walked away from the sport in frustration. As we come to see, that's what Kevin Costner's character, Ray, has come to regret is that he wishes he had a better relationship with his father. John, what do you think of the story as it relates to balancing the family drama with the supernatural stuff? The supernatural stuff is a good way to show that family is more important than all the financial issues that they seem to be having. Like Pat said, with the connecting of father and child, it really helps him connect with his daughter more, who didn't care about farming. She didn't care at all about farming. But these ghost players that she doesn't know are famous, watching them play baseball, she loves her dad for that. They did have a nice relationship. It doesn't get bogged down in the rules of the fantasy, and that's probably for the best. It also doesn't straight out ignore giving some details either. Like the second time the ghost players are playing out on the field, Ray's brother-in-law is there to tell him how stupid it was to kill his crops to make that baseball diamond. And I'm thinking, why doesn't Ray bring the media around? Why doesn't he start making some money off of this thing? And I swear, within five seconds, they establish that the brother-in-law can't see the players on the field. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, you answered my question, thanks. <laughs> Were there any other details about the supernatural stuff for you guys? I guess it's I'm not really the supernatural, but it was more just that the baseball history aspect of it. I thought they did a good job at actually bringing in real historical baseball facts. Like they actually bring the Chicago Black Sox back, and then that was tied to the father. And then, uh, you know, Moonlight Graham, that's actually another true story. I don't know if the character's name is correct, Moonlight Graham, but there are similar stories of players who have come to the major leagues and been that short of their dreams. Let's start with you, John. What commentary do you think the movie is making about baseball? It's romanticizing baseball in a light that I don't know if it would work for other sports, but it definitely has that heart of America, America's game, this is America's sport and everybody can bond over it type of feeling to it. No, yeah, I agree. Drills in the heartland theme of the sport and the heartland of the country too. I mean, having a baseball field built in the middle of Iowa, connecting with rural America and the folks who really grew up playing baseball because that was pretty much all you could do out in the country in the farms. Maybe it's because I'm cynical. I almost feel like the movie's commenting on the spirit of baseball being overshadowed by the corporate angle in more modern times. It's very intimate initially with Ray Liotta, Shoeless Jackson. He's just by himself on the field. It's spooky. It's at night. Ray goes out there and meets him, and it's just the two of them. By the end of the movie, you have Ray's brother saying, you guys need some money. What are you doing with this baseball diamond? He's looking at the dollars and cents of it, and he's not on their side. He doesn't get it until he can finally see the players. Even Terrence Mann, he gives that speech at the end where he's extolling the nostalgia of baseball. But in the same speech, he also says that they should charge 20 bucks a head. And when you see all those cars at the end of the movie coming to see the show, it's like it's turned into a sideshow. <laughs> it's going to be a big moneymaker. I feel like that's what we're supposed to take away. Do you guys think I'm off the ball there? No, actually. I really think you're on to something. I do remember when they went, they got, what, two beers and two hot dogs, and it cost them 10 bucks, And I was like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, looking up random bits about the movie. They said that that particular ballpark is still there where they filmed, and that you can show up, pay money to tour it. <laughs> that becomes like life imitating the art of charge $20. We're going to make some money. Not even that, John, but uh, Major League Baseball actually hosted a series there last season. Interesting. The Yankees played a series there. I believe it was against the White Sox at the Field of Dreams. But they built out stadium seating and everything, but it was only limited capacity, 8,000 seating. Why do you think it took them so long to finally do that as a publicity stunt? Major League Baseball has got a monopoly on the sport itself. They really control a lot of the licensing around everything. Any movie that you see that features Major League Baseball teams, such as Angels in the Outfield, which features the team, the Angels, that's all licensed through MLB. The nice thing about Field of Dreams is since it really doesn't touch on modern baseball, it's not actually affiliated with Major League Baseball, so it's separate, and there's no trademark or licensing agreement between the two. So I think that was part of it. Probably just agreements and money, ironically. They came down to why you couldn't get a game out there sooner or monetize on that sooner for Major League Baseball. Frank, going back to your cynical point, 
There was definitely a line in the movie when Shoeless Joe Jackson asked why the lights were so bright. Ray brought up the point. Some owner discovered that more people can attend night games than day games, so they'd make more money off of night games. Let's go on to some favorite scenes or performances. I think James Earl Jones does an excellent job. Amy Magadan, who plays Ray's wife, Annie, she does a great job. Her speech in the school about the book burning is just very priceless and iconic. That whole book burning thing just came out of left field for me. Pun intended. (laughs) And then I was happy to see that it actually played into the larger part with the whole Terrence Mann thing. It's making that connection to Terrence Mann character that we're trying to get to, which is interesting. Ray Liotta as Shoeless Joe. Considering what he's known for and what he can do, that was such a good, subtle performance. Kevin Costner, I thought he did a good job. He could be just this weird, drab guy sometimes. I also feel like James Horner's score is pitch perfect, and while I didn't cry at the end, it definitely was wearing me down with that music. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to some criticisms for this. Yeah, I think you've already called out a few, John, with the $10 hot dog and soda. Granted, that's (laughs) 30-plus years ago at Fenway Park. And I think the monetization of the field at the end, I think, is definitely something to be you know, whatever, criticized. Obviously, you're going to be losing the family farm if you don't, can't make ends meet, everything like that. But I think the point of the movie wasn't to make money. It was to trust your instincts and follow your heart and reconnect with your family and your passion. I felt like the movie moved weirdly. If you build it, they will come. The voice never said baseball diamond, and yet he got to that. Ease his pain, he just came to the conclusion that it was Terrence Mann. Quick, get me some Advil. Yeah, uh, um, go the distance. They both saw that at the park, and they're like, okay, we gotta go find this Moonlight guy. Sherlock Holmes couldn't make these connections, and yeah, he's just winging a prayer, getting it right the first time every time. I think that speaks to trusting your instincts, though. And ultimately, what we do come to find out, it's not if you build it, they will come, it's if you build it, he will come, isn't it? Yeah. And he thinks that it's Shoeless Joe, which we come to find out later that it's his father. And then he does get to reconnect with his father as a young man. Well, all those bits of instruction, though, Pat, even though they expound on it later in the movie, it's still not definitive if that's exactly what the voice meant, you know? He could have built anything. He could have built a football field and then started getting, like, old football players (laughs) undiagnosed CTE coming back, just screaming weird stuff. He could have built a strip club, (laughs) and then his father's ghost would still have shown up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Share a lap dance with your dead dad? That sounds like a completely different movie. (laughs) I liked it overall, but it really does feel like a Stephen King story where while it's playing, you're going along for the ride, and then afterward, all the spooky stuff... Just seems very coincidental and not really any rhyme or reason. They're talking to ghosts, hearing voices, sharing visions, dreams. Ray even goes back in time at one point in the movie. What were those time travel rules? What's going on there? Like, he meets Moonlight before he dies. They get there, Moonlight's already dead. Then he meets him as an old man. And then on their way, they meet him again as a kid. And when he leaves, he's an old man again. And that kills him? What is going on there? 
and it turns dramatic when he can't go back to the baseball game. But it would have been nice if they set up that rule earlier so we could feel something for it. Yeah. None of the supernatural stuff feels cohesive or pertains to a particular set of guidelines. You know, ultimately, it's just there to help the story be told, and it's about the father-son thing. It was still comical how these things just come out of nowhere. Guys, I want to ask you, if you go into the cornfield, do you die? I think that's the end of Terrence Mann's journey is what I believe it is. And I think that's the reason why he was invited, because it was his time, per se. What do you think, John? Oh, he did. He's so dead. (laughs) (laughs) He was laughing when he went in, and old dudes don't laugh unless their pain starts to go away. And old man pain doesn't go away until you die. Well, what if he was just really happy because he thought he was going to visit somewhere cool and then be able to write about it like he said he was going to? It makes it seem sinister that Ray Liotta doesn't explicitly tell him, hey, by the way, if you go there, you're effectively dying. Just letting you know, you're not coming back. Are you still going to do it? It's like similar to what John said about the end of the Sandlot, you know, with Squints being a serial killer. <laughs> Terrence Mann goes out in the field and then Ray Liotta turns into his Goodfellas character. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he buries all the bodies in a cornfield. <laughs> Ghost Joe Pesci is waiting to, to stab a guy with a wine opener. Oh, I'd love it if he just came out with a baseball bat, but instead of playing ball, he hits another player on the head and <laughs> assassinates him. You owe me money! <laughs> hey, wah, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, he could have been the bookie for the alleged gambling that got them all barred. This is a great segue into rat round two. <laughs> John, do you have any rat for me? I was thinking about how I don't think this movie would have worked with any other sport. If it was a golf field, guy's going to hit one ball and then he just disappear because the hole's further away than what got built. <laughs> That's true. Also, if it was like a hockey stadium. Outdoor hockey stadiums in Iowa. There's no way. That's cheap. How about you, Pat? So, fun fact here for you is that Kevin Costner is in three baseball movies. His first being Bull Durham, 1988, Field of Dreams, 1989, and then 1999, he plays an aging pitcher called Billy Chappell in the movie For Love of the Game. They're all excellent movies. I'd recommend them all. And I think it's really nice to see his passion for baseball showing through. Well, I'll do you one better. Yes, the three you mentioned. Plus, he was also a retired ball player in a fourth movie, but I forget the name of it. Can't think of other examples except maybe the Goomba angle with uh, Robert De Niro and some others. It's like, wow, you really love that subject. Kevin Costner's featured in a lot of sports movies. He did Tin Cup in the 90s, which is a movie about golf. He did Draft Day, which is the football movie, which wasn't very good. If ever there was a corporate tie-in movie, they pushed the actual NFL draft to premiere that movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My little bit of rat for you guys. Every time somebody says, is this heaven? And Kevin Costner says, it's Iowa. That just feels like such a tourism board campaign that they just forced into the movie. Is this heaven? No, no, no. It is not heaven. It is Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I saw it. I was like, no, no. Don't you dare get confused. Let's go into the final segment. 
TLDL, too long, didn't listen. I'm going to give you guys some rapid-fire questions, and I want you guys to give me short answers, one word, if possible. John, let's start with you. Which is a better sports movie, The Sandlot or Field of Dreams? Ooh, I'm going Sandlot. Pat, which movie do you think is the better choice on Father's Day? Field of Dreams. If you're picking, John, one of these movies for someone who could care less about baseball, which movie do you recommend? Sandlot. Pat, you mentioned those other Kevin Costner baseball movies before, so I want you to rank them Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, and For Love of the Game. I'm going to go Bull Durham best, Field of Dreams second, For Love of the Game third. Although I don't think For Love of the Game is a bad movie, it's just definitely a step below the other two. John, what's a bigger wish fulfillment? Making the majors or playing catch with your dead dad? Catch with your dead dad? No one's actually ever done that. Just wanted to make sure that you didn't have a heart of stone. <laughs> <laughs> and the round us out, Pat, is the name Wendy Peppercorn too silly? Absolutely not. The correct answer, Pat, is who cares? Wendy can save me at the edge of a pool any day of the week. Any final thoughts, you guys, on the two movies we've discussed? I think they're both excellent movies, and if you haven't seen them or haven't watched them in a while, definitely worth a rewatch. They're better than I remember. I haven't seen them in a few years. They're definitely worth the rewatch. watch